Welcome to season two of the Shopstool podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. With Joey Chalk from King Post Timberworks, Brian Cush from Sawdust Bureau, and Robin Lewis from Robin Lewis Makes. Hi everyone, I hope you're all very well. This is episode number 33, season two of the Shopstool podcast. As always, I want to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how are you? Yeah, very good, Robin. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. And Brian, how are you? I'm excellent, Robin. That's how good. are you? Yeah, uh, well, well, we'll get into that in a second. Um, <laughs> but my name is Robin Lewis, and welcome to the show, everyone. So, I guess the first thing we should probably start off with uh, is it's, it's, been a, it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while since our last yeah. show. Um, if I pull up on my podcast, the last publish we did was on the 20th of September. Okay, exactly and a month ago. <laughs> exactly a month ago today, but this episode is going to come out because today is Tuesday, so it'll come out probably on on Sunday on the weekend yeah. just to keep the schedule. So it's been over a month since our last episode, which is yeah, it's been a super long time. And uh, a big thank you to everyone who got in touch with me to just ask like what was going on. <laughs> oh, I, really? I had a, yeah, I had a, had a few of those as well. <laughs> yeah, like is everything all right? What's happening? <laughs> so yeah, really appreciate that. That's it's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. One of the main reasons we took a break, we're going to get into us into in a second, um, but just a little bit of interesting news before we get into that, and this is, this is closely related. Uh, you might be able to hear from my voice that I'm not in the best shape. I've been pretty sick, sick the last couple of days, and we were going to record this episode last night, but I had to pull out. Um, as part of being sick, I went and did a COVID test just to make sure and, you know, try and be a responsible citizen. What an awful experience that is. <laughs> Come wow. on, man up, Robin. Did, did, that bad, was it? Have you, guys, have you guys had one? I've had a couple, but that's going to be the next story. Right, okay. So, so you know all about it. I'll tell you what. So yeah, it's the, not very pleasant. The, the, the gist of it is, is they basically take a swab. They stick it in the back of your throat, which some people don't like. I was okay with. Then they stick it up your nose and yeah. essentially tickle the back of your skull. And I was a mess. They did it <laughs> and my eyes just started to water. Now, obviously, I'm sick as well, so I'm not in the best way. Eyes started to water and, and you're in a drive-thru. So they, they're sort of waiting for you to, to move along. And you're coughing and sneezing as well. Coughing and sneezing. And the woman, she sort of looked at me and said, are you okay? And I went, no, I don't, I don't think I am. And she's grabbed me some tissues and I'm wiped. Because I couldn't see. I couldn't drive because my Jesus. eyes just... What an awful experience. And I drove out of that, got home, and the first thing I said to Jamie, my wife, was, I really hope that I'm negative just because I don't want to have to go through that <laughs> test all over again because yeah, that was right. horrific. But anyway, the, the, the results came back negative, so I don't have yeah. it. It was just a box. And you've got a sexy, husky voice for the podcast. Yeah. Win-win. So so just a bog standard cold. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so all good. But awesome. in the... <clears throat> spirit of COVID, Brian, you've got some pretty big news for us. Yeah, I'm actually in a different country right now. Yeah. Really? Um, Which country yeah. would that be, Brian? I am in New Zealand. Ooh. Been, pra- been yep. brushing up on the, the, the accent. Yeah, so um, it's a bit of a long story, but my um, I don't sound like I'm Kiwi, but I am actually my mum's Kiwi, and I have a... Um, all my mom's side of the family are over here, and my grandfather uh, took a bit of a turn during COVID lockdown. And uh, I've been particularly close to him 
pretty much my whole life. He was the guy that inspired me to make things and build furniture. He was an architect who became a furniture maker. So it's basically, yeah, it was a really tough time. And um, then a friend of mine, an Irish guy, managed to get into New Zealand with his Kiwi girlfriend. And I'm like, how does that work? Yeah. I hadn't even really thought about it. At one stage, I'd sort of my wife had said to me, you know, maybe you should go over and, and see your grandfather in case anything happens and you don't get to see him again. But just the idea of two weeks quarantine, I could probably only go for two weeks and then two weeks quarantine back and it's, it's six crazy. weeks away yeah. and the costs involved and all the stresses. And then um, it just kind of hit the point in Victoria where I was like, what are we really going to be missing back here? Um, we did a few sums and worked out covering our overheads and my wife spoke to her work and she's now able to work remotely so we're like well we'll apply and see if we get accepted and we applied and we're accepted and awesome. next thing we were on a very very empty plane coming across <laughs> to originally Wellington and I was thinking oh it'd be brilliant you know I'll catch up with Joey on the way out and then uh, we got the bad news upon landing that um, no you're being transferred to Wellington so they stuck us on another flight and took us to a quarantine hotel there oh you were, sorry you said Wellington twice you were going to camp oh sorry you were going to camp to Auckland sorry sorry yep sorry yeah. I'm not used to this late record you know usually it's, <laughs> usually it's early for me um, so yeah originally Auckland and then they stuck us on another plane down to Wellington yeah. and uh, we did two weeks quarantine in a tiny hotel room with a six month old baby crazy and it wasn't actually as bad as it yeah. sounds it so was, you said it was just the one room, wasn't it? Well, yeah, one really small room. Wow. Um, there's different. I mean, there's different conditions. Every hotel's managed differently as yeah. well. Mm. We were in one of the stricter ones, so your exercise times are set. Um, wow. You can only leave your room if you're escorted by um, one of the New Zealand Defence Force. <laughs> so I mean, Jeez. it was it was pretty intense, but it was. A really nice experience like to sort of get out of victoria and see mm -hmm. something different and um, it was pretty cool to take my son on his first flight which was it's fun, the most huh? empty plane i've ever been on in my, my been, entire life uh, i couldn't think of the best way to take a, a small child on a plane is when mm -hmm. there's no one else around you yep. so. you don't feel as though you're getting in the way yeah. trying to get bags there was just nobody there so awesome. going through customs empty going yeah. through immigration empty um, and everybody was brilliant. Like, yeah, some people have complained about having to do it. I'm like, it's not that much different from what we've done for the last six months in in Victoria, yeah. except somebody else is cooking all our meals. Yes. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the exercise, so I was always under the impression that you you literally were in that room, twenty four seven. No, no. Every hotel has to provide an outdoor space for exercise. Some of them are really nice. Like there's some in the on the waterfront in Auckland where you can <laughs> yeah. just sort of wander up and down the jetty. Uh, ours was an underground car park in Wellington, oh, which uh, if you've ever been to Wellington, it tends to be pretty windy and pretty cold. Yeah. So you can imagine what an underground car park feels like. Um, but you still took it and you were allowed to socialize with the other people in quarantine. We're sort of kept in the same group off our flight okay. and your exercise time uh, lines up with theirs. So, so long as you're socially distanced, that, that was quite a nice time actually to sort of you feel as though you're in the same boat with somebody mm. else rather than just being isolated in your own room. Yeah. But, um, and then made it out and got up to see my grandfather and um, introduced him to his great-grandchild, which awesome. was brilliant, and it made everything worthwhile. But yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's been a crazy, like, yeah, going back to the last time we recorded, it feels like a lifetime yeah, ago. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so um, much as water's gone under the bridge since, since then. Not too long ago, we were saying, like, nothing seems to be happening in the shop. And we were talking about <laughs> what are we going to talk about on the podcast. Yeah. We literally yep. go away for a month and everything's different. Yeah. Yep. But it just felt like I caught a flight to another dimension. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything here is, you know totally normal and almost nothing's changed once you're out weird. of out of the airport now so weird but yeah. it's brilliant and yeah. still managing to do a bit of work and i've got some design jobs for clients and are you doing any a, physical work at all or are you at the moment just doing like planning and stuff not at the minute it's all just planning quoting That's um cool. i redid my website in quarantine which oh, was sweet. useful in between trying to get the, the baby to nap, which is <laughs> yeah. not much fun. Um, but no, I've sort of contemplated maybe looking for a shared workspace here or something, but I just don't know whether it's worthwhile. I think it's, it's kind of better. And stuff, like yeah. the reason why I came here was to sort of spend time with my family and, and make sure they're okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, jobs can wait. I think for the for the time being, like I'm definitely missing being in a workshop. It's pretty weird. Like I've been away four weeks now. Um, so yeah, I am missing it badly. But it's one of those things, and it's again, all my clients have been really nice the whole way through COVID. Everybody's sort of been fine to wait for jobs, and you just worry when you get an inquiry, and you're like, uh, so I've actually just in uh, managed isolation in New Zealand. I'll be back in <laughs> back two in, to three months. Yeah. Back after Christmas. Um, yeah. Oh, but, so that's, um, the, that's the time frame that you're looking at too. You have months. to do a minimum 90 days um, coming into New Zealand. Otherwise you get as a, pay as for a New Zealand New Zealand citizens get it covered by the government if you come back for 90 days. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. I think I've missed, I've probably missed a part of the conversation. So you're not, like you're not moving there obviously. No, no, no. But no. you, what, what did you, what did you apply for? Some kind of visa then? Uh, I don't need a visa because I'm a New Zealand citizen. You have yeah. to. At the moment, you've got to apply to, to be eligible to come into the country. They've got to make sure that you are actually allowed to get, to enter the country. Yep. Otherwise, okay. you can't get on the plane. Gotcha, gotcha. Yep. So, as so you've a, got to, and, and you've got to apply to exit Australia. Yeah. So you need that approved. Oh, I'm trying to get down to Tassie next month, and I've got to apply to get into Tasmania and back into Queensland. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just a, it's, you know, it's probably just formality, but you've still got to make sure that it's you're not flying It's pretty interesting. It's very, very stressful, but um, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And I completely understand the reasons for doing it. And if they get the border bubble working, brilliant. If not, we have to do two weeks quarantine on the way back. It's what we signed up for. So it's, it's sort of on us. But, yeah, um, who knows what, how yeah. that will go. <laughs> who knows, who knows. <laughs> so minimum but, um, 90 days. So you'll, 90 you're, you're going to be there for at least 90. Do you think you're going to stay longer or will you just take it as it comes? Um, that's a very political question. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if I said that we were going to stay longer and my wife thought that we weren't going to be back in Australia for Christmas, I might be in a lot of trouble. So, Robin, I'm going to decline answering yeah, that. The <laughs> but the plan is for 90 days. Okay. When is that? But um, is that before Christmas officially? Just before Christmas, okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That'd so be, that's cool. Kind of works out all right. Yeah. Um, but it's just great to be here. Yep. And you're you're all you're all settled in and yeah, all and settled in. Um, taking care of yeah, you. Yeah, mum and dad are good. Um, 
the COVID tests weren't quite as bad as the one you got. We just got the one up the nose, or well, we got two, two up the nose. Um, but my six-month-old didn't even batter an eyelid at it. He was totally fine. Did they test them? If, yeah, they did. Yeah, huh, yeah. right. I think they were testing the young, yeah. one, young ones. Yeah, six months is the is uh, the start point. Jeez. Okay. So yeah. Well, that's why I went and got my test done was so that if I came back positive, then my two-year-old, I would go. Exactly. Because she, yep. she's been sick as well. Right. Yep. She actually is the one who got sick first and then gave it to me. Um, but I just said, I'll go get the test. If I'm negative, yep. then we're not going to even attempt exactly, to stick, yeah. shove exactly. something up her nose because it's yeah. going to be horrific. Yeah. yeah. So it would just yeah. not happen with my two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much all my news. I've got a, a nice shiny new website. Um got some jobs some sketches but um that is pretty much it cool that picture yeah. that you you sent us or i can't remember if it was public of you guys on the plane it yeah. was just such a you don't you I, I can't even remember the last time i saw a flight that looked like that yeah where it was just you guys and nothing i mean you see yeah. that when you're the first people on the plane but that's about it it was totally bizarre so there was 40 people on our flight that that's held crazy. 300 I had I had a flight like that in two thousand and three something um, flying to Fiji. My parents flew me out there because they were already there, and I jumped on the plane. I was I wasn't able to drink. I I wasn't quite eighteen, but I remember there was no one on the flight, and they just kept giving me free beers. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so fine. <laughs> it's crazy being on a plane like that. So yeah. strange. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did have a we did have a cheeky glass or two of champagne on the way. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get down to to um, Tassie to visit a mate of mine, and they've changed their, or they are about to change their policy, Tasmania, on the 26th of October. So I'm sort of hanging out for that. Right. But like because it cha- it's changing so rapidly. Yeah. I've just I've had to say to my boss. I may be taking this week off. I can't <laughs> right. tell you now. I can only yeah. tell you like a week before um, because who knows? You know, yeah. not too long ago, they were talking about the Sydney numbers rising. So, yeah, it's, it's it, real up and Very, there. very fluid, yeah. And I guess with you guys, from, from your perspective, you've got to be ready, to, I mean, you know, obviously within reason, but you've got to be ready to react just in Pretty case much. something like that happens. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So, so don't expect any news from Auckland <laughs> from Brian for the next few weeks or months. So, I'm not sure if we talked about this at all on the podcast. I think we must have talked about no, this. No, we didn't. And I remember being so annoyed that Damien, I loved our episode. It was fantastic. But all That's I wanted right. to do was hear about the damn That's right. staircase. Okay. So, <laughs> if anyone's followed me on Instagram, they would have been seeing that I had started this mammoth job of a, a double height curved staircase. Um, it, so it's, it's actually, it's really one curve that is um, replicated twice on a, on a three level house. So it's not a full spiral, it's a, like a 90 degree curve and that's happening twice and it makes a lot more sense. You can actually scroll back in my Instagram and see like a, a SketchUp rendering of how it's going to go, to, go, to go together. It makes a lot more sense. So you're not just doing one floor to another, you're doing it's, multiple floors. Yeah, so it's one floor to the next oh. and then that floor to the top floor. 
Okay, and it's 90 degree on both staircases or 45 yeah. and 45? Okay. 90 degree wind, and then you, so you come up from the ground floor to the mid floor, and you're turning 90 degrees, and then you're standing on the mid floor, and then you kind of turn back and face the stairwell, and then you're turning another 90 degrees on top of the stairwell you just walked up on oh, top okay. of. I'll go back um, and look at the picture. Yeah. So. And, this, and this is all timber? There's no yeah. steel? Well, there's a lot of steel, and it mostly is hidden, the parts yeah. that need to be. Um, so so I'll, I'll run through a few things. Um, we've got um, the stringers are 300 by 65, and they're so 10 layers of 6 mil um, birch ply. Which should actually only be 60, but whatever, they're slightly different, and so it's ended up coming out at 64, 65 mil thick. Um, so they're not exactly 6 mil ply. Um, so we have a full scale form that we've made in the workshop, and which only just fits. I mean, this job only just fits in my workshop. And um, so we, we cut up like 22 sheets of uh, birch ply and worked out a way to glue these things up on the mold like uh, uh, crazy craziness trying to glue up um how many pieces i can't remember how many pieces i think it's 22 pieces no that can't be right i feel like i want to say it's 22 strips of full length plywood per stringer um and each stringer took two kilos of dry powder glues mixed up with Water. Wowzers. So each stringer took, uh, what did we make up? About five liters of liquid glue, something like that. Um, so that was interesting. So we had to come up with a whole solution to like glue up all these pieces quickly enough that we could actually handle them and get them clamped up inside of the kind of glue manufacturer's time. And uh, it, I, sorry, I missed you. The type of glue was, was what? It was a two part? It's, um, it's a urea resin glue. So okay. it is called, um, uh, it's made by DAP, it's called Weld Wood. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 I remember you, you recommended yeah. that to me when I was doing the veneers on so the So it's not the great for, there. for your, your body or anything else, but it's a bloody <laughs> good glue. And so, why, why have you gone with that over something like a traditional so, PVA or? Well, so open time is pretty decent. Like, mm. um, I was getting more than they were saying probably because of the temperature and humidity at the time, but we were probably, we get an hour working time with it. Um, and, and probably you could push it to two hours, I think, uh, working time. And it takes a full 20, uh, 12 hours to set and, and under, under clamps. And so you mix up um, the dry powder with some water and we ended up doing it in like massive buckets and I got like a, a drill mixing thing to mix it all up. And um, just like pouring it on with like Tupperware containers and then spreading it out with a, a, a notched trowel. And I made like this, this glue bath that would put the piece of plywood that we needed to glue up in this little tray, pour it with glue, spread it all out, and then just kind of slide it out of the little glue tray to keep it all the glue contained. And then we could reuse the- such a mess. Well, we contained most of it. There wasn't too much dripping on the ground and stuff. Um, so I was actually pretty surprised at how clean we ended up being. Uh, the first glue up took us an hour, 55 minutes, and the last one took us 
about 35, 30 minutes. So we got pretty good at mm. gluing them up. Um, so it took us two weeks to make the four stringers. And it was funny, like there was a two weeks worth of work and you're like, holy crap, that's a lot of work. But that's just like the start of the job. Like that's just yeah. what you need to start making stairs is having the stringer. And, there's, and then we had to like veneer the edge of it and, you know, do all the plum cuts and all, all sorts of stuff. So the hardest part with this job is actually the structural part of it. Like you were asking Brian, we had to, there's a huge plate which connects to the floor joists. It's 10 mil, uh, 10 mil steel by 240, as, as, as big as the joist, 240 tall, um, 10 mil thick, and it's got these giant 8 mil flanges which hang off, sticking out, which are embedded into the stringers, which we've got to hide. So we've got a veneer over these flanges so you can't see them and um, just crap tons of work. Mm. Um, I, so I, um, I worked out how to do it because there's no drawings for this. Like the, the, oh, I, was, I was really surprised. Not engineered. There was no engineering for it. Wow. Um, I got the plans and it just had a, like a, a the plan view of a stairwell with a curve on it and it's, it just said curve stairs and I was <laughs> like Joey. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, and I was like where are the where are the technical drawings like how do I make this yeah. and they said oh uh, here's the PS or what, what over here they call a PS1 which is like the approved engineers drawings like you might call like generic engineers drawings and I was like okay well this will be interesting I didn't know there were generic curve stairs plans so I open it up and it's just a straight set of plans, like a straight set of stairs for like 12 steps high. And it says you can use a 300 by 50 for your stringer and that's all you have to do. And I'm like, what the, <laughs> what is this? Like, you guys yeah. have got no clue. So, and that was kind of my first, like, something's a bit off, something's not quite right here. And so when I priced it, she came, the lady I'm dealing with, uh, come straight back to me almost immediately and said um why is it this much like a normal set of stairs only costs like two thousand dollars i'm like <laughs> not a normal set of stairs <laughs> like, do you know how much work is involved in this like this is not this is outrageous amount of materials and work and like um to put it into perspective the steel work that is involved i just paid the bill for which is it was ten thousand one hundred dollars for the yeah for the steel so um, it's like it's not any small amount of stuff. So I so I drew it from scratch. There was no drawings. There was no three D renderings of it. There was just like here's an example of what we want, and this is the dimensions of the stairwell. So I drew the whole thing up, worked out how to do the engineering, then found an engineer who knew how to deal with spirals, and got him to prove my method and he made a couple of tweaks to it, but essentially said, yes, this will, this is strong enough to take the loads involved and everything else. And so that cost $5,000 for him to stamp those. Um, but they wouldn't pass inspection. Surely, surely they wouldn't what be able to get it approved. What wouldn't, sorry. Like if, if you didn't have engineering plans oh, for no, them, you just, you, you cannot do it. And, and certainly not in New Zealand. I mean, you, you're talking about a structural element that is going to hold people's lives up over yeah. three stories. Like it has to be engineered. Like you, and I mean, that's something that 
kind of still keeps me up at night a bit where I'm like, I hope the hell this is strong enough because like there's a long drop down, um, down the stairwell. So essentially what we've got is two big stringers that are curved, treads that you walk on, and because of some of the regulations and because of some of the engineering involved, we have to put steel underneath each tread that connects the stringers together. Um, and so there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of steel on each stringer holding the two things together. The balusters are like solid steel uh, rods holding up a solid maple handrail. Um, so at this stage, we've got all the stringers made, all the handrails made, most of the holes are drilled for installing the um, balusters. I've got all the main steels ready to install. I was meant to install this stairs two weeks ago and then I get I get the phone call, the email saying From the husband. <laughs> yeah. Saying, Oh can we just hold off on, on this job? <laughs> so so what happened was during all of this, the same construction company said to me, um, can you price this set of door front doors for us for another job? I said, sure. Did that, bit of back, backwards and forwards, never heard back. Then they say to me, oh, we'd like to go ahead with those doors. When can you start? I'm like, oh, well, I'm right in the middle of this giant set of stairs. So once I finish the stairs, I'll, I can start the doors. So then a few days later, they said, let's put a hole on the stairs and can you get the doors done? Because we really need them like ASAP. And I was like, well, that is not, you know, it's not that easy just to stop a job, which has completely taken over the workshop. And I, I was on the verge of saying no. And then I was like, well, it's going to be a cool job to do the doors and, and for the same client. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pack the stairs off and I'll start your doors. And then two weeks, in two weeks time, when we finish the doors, I'll, we'll get straight back on to the stairs. We're only about a week and a half away from installing and then we'll just come back and install your stairs. So, and then it turns out that they, they said to me, oh, we don't have to come straight back to do the stairs. Why don't you wait eight weeks and then do the stairs right before Christmas? <laughs> what? <laughs> and you've complained about storing people's projects in the past. Yeah. So wow. Like, Are you guys serious? Like, this is, this is not cool. Like, one, yeah, there's... I need to be paid for this job. Like I'm not going to not be paid for two weeks when it's pretty much finished. Um, so it, what it turns out is that right from day one, I had asked them, I said, when do you want the install in the construction process? My, my the best thing I can think of is that you should jib plasterboard paint the steel well, at least have that ready and and except for a few patches where I have to actually attach the stairs to the floor joists, and then you can fix up some of those patches after the stairs go in, just quite small bits of plasterboard that needs to be fixed up. They said, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a, a probably a pretty good plan. And when I went to measure on site, the site manager says to me, how long is it gonna take? And I said, well, six or seven weeks. And he said, oh, well, we're about six or seven weeks away from being watertight. Why don't you just start now and you put the stairs straight in as soon as, like, the windows are in. 
And I said, well, that seems pretty early to me, but if that's what you want, you know, that's up to you. <laughs> so um, I said, you guys are going to have to try and jib around all the steers and you're not going to be able to have scaffold in the steer well. And he said, oh, we just need the steers in so we can get up and down. And I was like, all right, it's up to you, man. So now it turns out that they don't want to do that and they want to wait till the jib is up, like my original plan. The problem is I've started the job and it's hard, it's almost finished. So, um, so there's a bit of backwards and forwards because they're, they're wanting to delay that as much as they can while ha pushing me to get these doors done. They, they have now failed to pay me my progress payment for the doors. And I, I, I think what's happening, I think they've just got some, cash flow problems as, as a company and so it's you know it's starting to ring some bells with me that this both jobs could end up going sour which is not great um i'm, I'm all paid up for both of them not, not, apart from some labor for the doors um you know that there's no money outstanding but especially with the steers uh my final payment is a uh, quite a bit of money and that is the profit for me for that job like that's actually going to pay me so i can buy some food so as you're saying you've been putting off all the other smaller jobs yeah with this one in mind yeah that's right so it's just a bit of a pain in the ass at this point where, where they're refusing to talk to me about why they haven't paid my progress payment which they insisted on having and now they don't want to pay it so um it's a pain in the butt so i told them that i've stopped working on the doors because uh, they haven't paid me. I'm meant to be installing them this week, but they're not ready because they haven't paid me. And um, so, so it's interesting. I mean, that seems like kind of typical my story for some reason, but um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, you know what struck me the worst. And I don't know. Brian might have some experience with construction companies who probably shouldn't be construction companies. And it's a bit hard, you don't really get to know what's going on until you've been to a site a few times and you start knowing who's meant to be in charge of the site. And um, and I was really disheartened when I met one of the site managers and just had no basic understanding of the building, how the building process went. And I was talking in pretty mild builder language, but you could see just like going straight over his head and he didn't understand especially like with the doors when I was talking about he he would have to do the head flashing and I would install the doors but he will have to do the head flashing and do the sill flashing having everything ready for me and he didn't understand what that was like and I was just like um oh, you're come on now you are the manager site manager and you don't know what a sill flashing is for a door or a window it's like I was like, oh God, like, how do you, how does this happen? <laughs> like, and then, it's, and because you don't meet these people when you're doing, especially working for like a bigger company, like a, if you're working for a company as, as opposed to an individual, you don't get to meet these people who you actually be working with. You, you're meeting with some, essentially, I'm, uh, I'm not actually sure what the title of the person I've been dealing with is, but they are like the face of the business, you know? Um, not the, not the hands-on person. So it's been 
a bit frustrating having to, you know, have, you can see things sliding and I'm trying my best to keep things as, as good as we can have them because I know I have to finish this, the doors job and the stairs job with them. But, you know, having almost, I think all of my payments from them have been late, but they're just getting later and later. And, and it's like, I, don't, I, I shouldn't have to deal with this when you guys insisted on having a payment structure that we have and you've signed the contract and, and now just, you know, I can't make you pay me, but you know, come on. It's, um, it's just a bit silly at this point. It's, it's annoying when you put so much work into something and then you, you know, and, and it starts to feel a bit like things are going sideways. And so then your enthusiasm for the job wanes as well. And you end up, you end up kind of like, oh, now I've just got this giant thing sitting in the corner of the workshop and it, you know, it's been two weeks since I worked on it and now I don't even know where I was. And I know I'm going to have to try and unpack everything back out and like work out where we were and, and like, you know, get back into the swing of it and it's just it's going to be a pain in the butt but well they're beautiful doors yeah they are cool man that's why i wanted to do the job that's why i, I kind of thought i should if i pass it off it's going to go to someone who's going to do a crap job or they're just going to get some kind of whatever doors that because no one else will probably do that what a design and can you uh, talk us through the um the structure of them and how are they they're front doors are they yeah so they're external the ex oh yeah because they're going to be flashed yeah yeah so the external doors they're fully covered they've got this giant big roof that they've added to this house like like a you know you'd have a, a place where you drive the car around like a roundabout and underneath the cover get out and then drive through so that kind of thing so it's a big showy entrance very lighty dark yeah we've, we've all got those don't we yeah, yeah. um it's funny you say that because the actual house does not need or oh, really? warrant a big <laughs> drive-through. Like it's an old Pop. like 80s kind of ramshackle thing which has had this giant makeover, but it, it still doesn't look like it should have this big entrance. But um, whatever, I'll, I'll build your doors. Um, so we've got double doors, which at first originally was going to be one giant pivot door, and, and then they came, the client really wanted two doors so I said fine uh, they're a little bit small for a double door they're only 620 wide each which is pretty narrow for because usually with the double door set you only use one door most of the time yeah one wide one um, yeah and so they want a double door that's equal and so you only have a 620 wide which means the secondary door is going to have to be used a lot more so I need to kind of allow for that to happen um so what we've got is a cedar frame, 36 mil thick, which is mortise and tenoned, pretty basic frame. And that is then infilled with two layers of 18 mil plywood, which is kind of glued and screwed into a rebate in the plywood in the cedar frame. So, so I've got the cedar frame of the door, four sides, when in the, which has got nothing in between it and nothing inside of it until then I put plywood like that main body of the door is plywood with oh, a gotcha, cedar right. frame around it so, it's, so it ends up being solid core There's yeah no, so it's yeah, a yeah, solid plywood yep. core quarter sawn cedar plywood and then we cut um a whole crap ton of <laughs> three mil oak veneers <laughs> and um the pattern is 
a chevron pattern. Mm. So all the little pieces are, um, well, cut 45 degrees on each end. And so we make like this kind of chevron up and down zigzaggy pattern. And I, it only took me two days to glue all those those pieces up. So it's 816 pieces or something I did in, in two days, which wasn't was pretty good going, I thought. Um, so I just kind of glued them all up in strips on, on a, a melamine board. And then once I had all these strips of like just chevrons and two pieces, kind of making it an arrow, up arrow. And then I could like um, joint all those edges on the sliding table and then glue all those strips together to make the full width of the door. Um, how, how thick are those pieces again? Three mil. And I can't remember from the pictures, is it end grain or is it? It's quarter sawn oak. So okay, so you're I, not, it's not the end grain. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not end grain. So I managed to find one really big wide board, which I thought would do the whole lot, and it did almost. So almost all of the wood is um, from one plank. So the grain coloring and everything is pretty similar. There's the old bit of darker wood here and there. So what I actually did is maybe it's pretty cool. I think it's a good tip. So I ended up with like this giant stack of these little pieces. Each piece is uh, only 107 mil long or something. So I had this giant stack of these little um, little bits of veneer. And what happens when you cut timber in that way, because as you take, as you take strips, cut little strips off, off the plank at the, at the bandsaw when you're making the veneers, and you, you, they kind of stay pretty much together where they came off the saw. Um, and then when you cut them all up into little pieces, you end up with kind of a pattern of coloring where all those little pieces kind of were out of the plank. And so you end up with strips of very similar color pieces of very similar grain structure. And when you look back and see a finished product, you can kind of see where one plank stopped and then you started cutting the next plank because the grain's slightly different and the course from a slightly different part of the board and you have 10 that is that color and the next 10 are a slightly different color but all the same and it, and it kind of looks a bit shit so um i poured all the pieces out onto the floor and just kind of mixed them all up and kind of um yeah did my best to de-patternize it and and it ended up with a much nicer random pattern of of coloration over the doors so um yeah they've come together really really well i'm super happy with how they fit in the frame of made this really cool, I say made, installed this really cool hardware in the bottom edge of the door. I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. That is that is a neat little bit of kit. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of knew they existed. I've never used them before because you kind of, so you have to rebate, a, well, it's a groove. You've got to cut a reasonably big groove in the bottom of the door, which was, but this was a smaller version. So the groove I had to cut was only, 14 by 30 I think um, which is not too bad especially when and then you slide this big kind of aluminium so so 14 14 wide by 30 deep yeah yeah and um, you slide this big aluminium kind of gizmo into that groove and you can trim it to length depending on your door so when you order them you've got to order them in in certain size brackets depending yep. on how far you're going to trim it down um, and as the, as it, so once you install this into the bottom of the door, it has like a little button on the end of it, on the hinge side of the door. 
So as the door shuts, and the door shuts against the jam, it pushes a little button in, and this, the weather strip just shoots down out of the bottom of the door and just seals against the jam like perfectly. And you can adjust how much it drops, and you can adjust the angle, how if, if it's out of angle, out of square with the door and the jam out, you can adjust the angle, and um, it's bloody awesome. It, it, it is such a satisfying video to watch. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine how many times you actually did it yeah. in the workshop. Yeah, just, um, yeah. what, who are the manufacturer? It's um, the pro, the company is Raven, R A V E N. So typically, you probably see the products in Bunnings as the little rubber strips you can buy to like seal leaky windows yep. and stuff. But if you look at their range on their website. I, I actually don't use their website. I go through a, a wholesaler. Um, but they've got a huge range, like like probably thousands of products, all to do with different types of weather stripping, different types of door seals. I mean, anything you can think of, they've just got awesome. And it's pretty good hardware. And you can tell it's manufactured and like they manufacture it as cost-effectively, shall I say, as they can. I mean, it's not cheap, mm-hmm. but like it's it's bloody good stuff really um it's pretty fail safe as well because it's not like it's just a spring release button yeah yeah it's just so thinking about how it works um what happens um it always wants to be sprang up into the door yeah and so as it pushes shut the lever just pushes it down so the springs always wanting to pull it back up so as soon as you open the door two millimeters it's enough to um release the switch and the whole lot just sucks back up into the door and releases all that friction and opens up. So I've got the, that version, the one from Bunnings, same brand, but this one you attach on the outside of the door. Right, yeah. So I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, I've seen, I saw a bunch of it. Yeah. Now thinking of it, I'm just wondering if, I mean, I'm pretty sure I was supposed to attach it on the outside and not put it in the middle, but anyway. I installed, <laughs> yeah, no, they make different versions, yeah. Okay. Um, I installed that on the outside of my, both for the shop on the outside of both doors. Right. And when we had the, um, we had some flooding yeah. about a year ago, I stopped coming into my front, my, my usual door because the flood water had gone up above the door. Oh, wow. The, the seal Is was, I mean, it, there was a trickle coming through, yeah. but the seal was keeping the flood water out. Awesome. That's how good they are. Yeah, it's quite a bit of pressure coming down on them. Yeah, um, I, was, actually, I was amazed. Yeah, you're reading the, the technicals. They actually say that the rubber, sh- you shouldn't actually try and squish the rubber onto the jam because it will, over time, wreck the rubber. Mm. They, they want to just kiss it, they reckon. Yeah. Um, but I, I made it squish a little bit <laughs> because it <laughs> looks better, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So going back to that pattern that you used, the reason I asked about it is because we've had a guy on the on the show before by the name of Nick Padula, mm. and that's yeah. a very much a thing that he does. But if, yeah. if I remember correctly, he's he done used it with end grain. End grain, right? Yeah. And it was his because I, I I had this giant plank of oak, and I'm like, right, I I have to cut this up into a gazillion little pieces, and I was like, how the hell am I going to actually do this? Like, <laughs> I I don't actually know how to cut all these pieces exactly the same. So I actually was thinking about Nick's video where he, he made the, um, his pieces, but of course his were all in grain and he had a completely different setup. And I was like, 
well, that's not really going to work for me. Um, but I kind of took inspiration from him and in that he, he used his sliding table saw to, um, to, to cut all the pieces evenly and he had, he had some jigs set up. So I kind of did the same thing where I made some jigs and was able to cut all the pieces off uh, about four, four different jigs which had to be cut up as I cut the pieces up. The jig had to be cut up as well, holding all the pieces. Um, but the benefit of doing that, I probably spent an hour or two making these jigs which eventually all just got cut into tiny pieces. But I only had to hand fit probably four of those little pieces. Each of them just glued straight in. Like I, there was no trimming. Um, I just, so I got into a rhythm. So I think the first one took me an hour and 20 minutes, maybe something like that. The first strip of just two, two pieces coming together to make a chevron. And then you make a whole strip of those as long as a door it took me about an hour and 20 minutes. I had to do 12 of those strips and the last strip I did in 25 minutes. So wow. yeah, it just got to the point where I was just throwing them together and um, just dip the edge in PVA and squish it onto the, the next one in line and, and that was it. So Yeah, cool. And we managed to, and I had to vacuum press them down to the door blank, um, which is okay. My vacuum press is a bit, my vacuum pump's kind of undersized, so I don't really get as much pressure as I wanted, but it worked. Um, and the doors were like just too big, like about 10 mil too big for my big drum sander, but I pushed them through it anyway, just to, <laughs> and, it, and it just really knocked all the little lumps and bumps off, off yeah. that. And then we could just orbital sand them flat. So, and the, the plywood, how the core, how thick did you say it was? Uh, two layers of 18 mil. So the, okay. that's so why that's... I made the frame 36. Right so that should be pretty, because just my experience, and now I've never worked with birch before, but plywood's never really straight, not like a door straight. Um, so it, it doesn't matter too much in this case because the frame is holding everything. Um, and I actually well, didn't use birch ply. I used a really lightweight poplar plywood because I didn't right. want to make the doors too heavy. I just wanted something there, a substrate. Um, so in this case, the plywood is screwed and glued into a rebate on the inside of the door frame. Mm. And so, it, I mean, you could have a twisted piece in theory and mm. the frame is going to hold it, but you don't really want that tension on there. Mm. Um, the ply I had was pretty flat. I didn't have, to have any issues with that. Because um, also the pieces are actually only about 450 wide or something, something like that. By the time you have the cedar frame yeah, and, and inside of that, so six, five. Yeah, it's only about four something. So each piece of plywood wasn't very big. You won't get much movement in that, yeah. And yeah, especially no. when you can squash it out with um, two pieces coming together. It's yeah, at that size, it's even less. Yeah. Huh. So overall, I'm really happy with the doors. I'm just it's just a pain in the ass dealing with the people who uh, <laughs> try and make me do things. Yeah. <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. Fantastic. What about you, uh, what about you, Robin? What are you up to? I am working on my hallway renovation. So there's been yeah. a lot of lot of painting. Talking about doors, I replaced my bedroom door, which was quite straightforward considering my house is everything is so out of square. I managed to just pull out the existing jam and put in a new one, and uh, it worked 
pretty okay. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's it's close enough. Um, and then I've started building a um, a closet, so just a, a pretty simple closet with some top track sliding right. doors, yeah. which I've never done before. So I thought I'd give yeah. it a go. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, but I talked to Leroy about it. I was just I was having a conversation with him. I can't remember how we got onto it, but. The one thing I was, I was asking him was in terms of hardware, like, you know, what hardware should you be going for? And at this point, I'd always already bought the hardware, um, <laughs> and it wasn't the good one. And I, I've sort of, I've got to the point now where I'm starting to hang the doors, and I wanted to get your guys' opinion, because I don't know if you've done this before. If I take the doors and I whip them across, well, there's two doors, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're quite light doors, and I whip them across, they get a bit of a wobble as they go. Mm-hmm. Have you guys ever done a closet like that or have you ever seen or heard that of that happening? Uh, it's like a yeah. speed wobble. It depends what track you're using in my experience. Um, typically the best kind of track has like a hollow square aluminium tube mm. and you have like a little dolly carriage with four wheels on it which slides inside that the aluminium tube. Okay, yeah, which this one isn't. Um, so this which is, is a, a lot more stable because otherwise the other ones have two wheels. Yep. That sit. But they move laterally. Yeah, yeah, and they sit on a little lip on the inside yeah, of the that's aluminium. That's the one that I've got, yeah. And they can kind of jump and wriggle around a bit like a shower, sliding shower doors, which are always cheap as crap. Um, mm. And the problem with this, there's, there's, there's two, um, what do I say? Um, there's benefits and non-benefits, whatever that word is. <laughs> Pros and cons is what Yeah, that's, the, that's what I was trying to say. So usually with the, the bigger one, the, with the full square tube, it's quite big and it's hard to get two doors next to each other sometimes. The actual track can be wider than the doors. Mm. And so you end up with a really big gap between the two doors and it can just often look a bit crap um, and you don't really want those, those big gaps. And so the trick is always to try and get the two doors as close as possible without hitting each other. And sometimes that means using the not so good track and, and having that aesthetic with, with not quite as good a um, actual usability. Mm. I would say just be gentle. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably not going to be too much of an issue because as I say, you've really got to, you've got to whip it. And mm. the other thing that I thought about as well is if, if those wheels aren't perfectly co-planar yeah when you screw them from the top down if they're slightly off they are gonna want to be jumping out the whole time as you're moving it so they've got to be perfect so i thought maybe you know fiddle with that maybe change the actual nylon rollers for something like a softer rubber i don't know if that'd help but yeah, yeah. nylon typically mm, is pretty good. good yeah it's pretty is that quite, what you'd use? like okay. rubber is good but it wears especially if Where it's not it co-planar yeah. Did you ever see that sliding mechanism that I did for the dining table that went into the island bench? Yeah. I put photos mm. on. They were big nylon gate rollers. Uh, mm. that's right. That yeah. I welded to the frame and I just spoke to the client um a couple of weeks ago and they say it still runs completely true. There's been no wear in it. Um nice. 
and that's that's a year under pretty heavy load as well. So yeah, okay. nylon is the way. Mm. That's the way to go, yeah. Sometimes yeah. what can cause it, Robin, is because on the bottom, typically you'd have a groove in the bottom of the door and a little thin somewhere I, at some I point. haven't installed the guides yet. So that will really stop stuff happening. And the trick yeah. is to have the groove as tight as possible but still be free running like mm. you don't want that friction of the the little fin on the ground actually catching in a groove but if you oversize it by a mill or something like then the bottom starts shuddering yeah and, so the, the 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 spec sheet says to cut a six mil groove for the guard so i cut a so the bit that I've got, 6.3 mil. So I cut a 6.3. And obviously, you, it's never perfect with, you know, mm. when you're using your router like that. It's really hard. So it, let's say it's at 7. The, the amount of play in that guide is ridiculous. So How big is I, the fin? Only like 3 mil or something? At, yeah, probably. Yeah, so usually, anyways. I just use a skill saw blade. That is enough, usually. And, oh, that, and I didn't even do, think of that. Maybe yeah. do two passes with a saw blade would be enough. Um, well, I just yes. made my own guides today. Yeah, out right. of plywood yeah, so of then you could get it really really tight yeah. and i think on my very orange pine floors having some closer match in terms of the guides you know with some plywood right. it's going to look a lot better than this glaring white plastic thing that they uh, yeah. that they give you so i think it'll probably look nicer anyway but yeah i was quite surprised at just how much room there was because i mean there's enough that you can yeah, like it, it when will it, smash the other door. <laughs> it'd knock the other door, and yeah. it's going to change what it looks like. You know, yeah. it's constantly going to be riding it because yeah. when it lines up with the door frame, it's mm -hmm. you know there's so much movement. Um, but other than that, it's been pretty. It's it's been pretty cool because I've had to do some framing to to build yeah. it, and after after watching them build, you know, do the uh, getting the the builders in to do the renovation and build a wall, it was quite cool because i could watch them build the wall and go ah that's how they do it that's the sizes that they use that's the sort of the method and just just repeat the process to build a, a very small wall um sheet it so then you figure out how you're supposed you know if you're using cement sheeting or cement board how you sheet it like that so it was it's been pretty fun to do a project that isn't woodworking it's just strictly building mm. um, so now I'm at the stage as I say literally just hanging because I'm filming it it's taking twice as long as it should but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hanging the doors now and then a um, little bit of painting and then I'll be be done it's a, it's a massive improvement over what it was awesome yeah I saw some of the Instagram stuff that looked good yeah social media I've just I've just dropped off the planet yeah. at the moment it's just <laughs> me too man yeah well I mean Brian you got like a, a, a pretty good quote-unquote excuse yeah. um i just i just can't seem to find the time at the moment um i'm that's loving it, not posting it i'm loving not doing much on on youtube or instagram it's super liberating yeah. and the problem is because i'm i'm doing a renovation it's a lot hot like when i'm in the workshop this is my space and i can yeah it's, it's a lot easier i find when i'm quote-unquote on site upstairs the, like my wife's around the little ones around um you know yeah. i can't make it the same amount of noise as well yeah you know so it's a, it's a lot more difficult so i want to say i'm looking forward to getting back into the shop but the next project is going to be a carport out oh, the front wow. cool. um it's going to be one of those kits yep. uh, uh, carports and i really want to try and build it myself because it'll save me a bit of cash 
but it's going to be a seven by seven meter. So, and at, at 2.8 clearance, apparently, right. it, technically I'm allowed to build it myself because it's yeah. under 11 grand worth of okay. um, material, which is it's interesting how it's done that's by cost. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Who I cares about actually, how it's built? <laughs> it's it's 11,500. As long as it's less than that, I'm allowed to do it. I can build a structure that's in a outrageous. cyclone area that could literally turn into like a, a Frisbee and just... <laughs> cut through houses as long as it's, it's 10 grand as long as it's under that amount it's so bizarre That's can't, can't, can't touch my plumbing can't touch my wiring but yeah so weird anyway so yeah that so that'll, that'll probably issue. be the next one yeah I want to hear more about those, those rules man that's crazy <laughs> and I phoned up two companies got quotes from two companies and checked with both of them yeah no it's fine we'll send you the, the plans and everything as long as you follow it it's all good Oh my gosh, that's outrageous. <laughs> oh well, cool. Good for you. Good for you. Have fun. It's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. All right. All right, cool. Let's bring it to an end because we've got two minutes. All right, yeah. so to everyone listening, hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. The Shop Store Podcast is available on iTunes and most other podcast apps. My name is Robin Lewis. Joe and Brian, thanks for hanging out. Take care, everyone, and we will see you in the next show. See you. See you guys soon.